before I start, it's very clear that God's up to something this morning. So if God's doing something with you and actually you're more productive to kind of spend some time in prayer and ignoring the sermon, I won't be offended. Uh, equally, you know, if you want to listen along, you are welcome to. Uh, but I just felt that actually, you know, God's already up to something uh, this morning. So uh, if that's for you, then feel free uh, to use this time as you'd find most helpful. Uh, as Graham said, I work uh, part-time for the church as a community organizer, uh, and I also I spend the rest of my time working in the Church of England Parliamentary Unit. And this is a strange job, uh, but it results in me going to all sorts of kind of interesting events uh, to learn about areas of policy. And a few weeks ago, I was at uh, a kind of morning's conference on youth, empl- youth employment. And the keynote speaker uh, was talking about kind of successful strategies for young, kind of young people finding work and moving, making that transition from school or training uh, into employment. And she said that research has been done, which suggests that if a young person has had four or more encounters with the world of work, then there is an 87%, uh, they are 87% more likely uh, to end up in employment, uh, education, or training versus someone who's not. And then she said this. She said, information is not enough. These young people need encounter. Information is not enough these young people need encounter. Because what she said was, when people encounter it, they develop a hypothesis. So they begin to imagine what, that, what they could be like as, uh, growing up, what they could be doing. But before they've had those encounters, before they've actually experienced it, they don't know, they don't understand what it could look like. And so they just have all this information, but actually if they don't have encounter, you're not going to get anywhere. And if you take one thing from the sermon, and you take one thing from this passage, take that line. Information is not enough. We need encounter. And I was reminded, uh, I was thinking through this passage this week, I was, it, it just chimed so strongly, that idea of encounter, with what we read in 2 Peter in verse 16, when, when the writer writes, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we were told about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So encounter seems to be profoundly important to the Christian story. If we can have the first slide up, please. Uh, uh, but we, and we know it's important, and we recognize it's important with God, but also how we relate to others. But so often, I think we construct these cleverly invented stories to restrain it, to try and control it, to get what we want out of it. So, for example, I, I was lucky enough to grow up in a Christian family. Uh, I, have no, I would say I knew, have known God and have followed Jesus all my life. But as a teenager, I'm profoundly aware that I... Last slide. Okay. Uh, profoundly aware that what I did with encounter uh, and encountering God was instead of allowing it to confront and confuse and challenge me, I I wanted it to confirm all the stuff that I did. I wanted it to uh, kind of just kind of say, yep, Josh, you're doing fine. Uh, Here's some, like, kind of charge me up, say, okay, here's the nice Jesus feelings. Go off onto your week. And you don't really have to engage uh, with God. And you can kind of, and church is a top-up, or big kind of youth celebrations are top-ups, and then you can just get on with the rest of your life. And God's still there, but fundamentally he's not changing much. And it's just all about kind of comfort and confirming you, making yourself feel good. Uh, and there's a way of, in, in, you know, notionally thinking that you're encountering Jesus, but actually all you're doing is encountering your idea of Jesus. And 
I think what we see in this passage that was just read for us by Alice is actually how messy an encounter with Jesus is, actually how challenging and how provoking it can be. So what do we see in this passage? Well, we see that Jesus leads them up into the mountain, those three disciples, and then is transfigured. I love how casually Matthew writes this. And then he's transfigured, as if we understand intimately what transfiguring means. So that he, he's suddenly shining, uh, his face is like the sun, he has white robes. Uh, and then, uh, again, casually, Moses and Elijah appear uh, next to him and begin to talk with him. Uh, so there is, there is light in this encounter. And what light does is it exposes something and it draws out something, particularly from Peter, about how he reacts to Jesus, about what is, what is going on, what, what's his cleverly invented stories. And so he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If it, if, if it pleases you, I will put up uh, three shelters. If you go back now. Uh, and, and so what, what's going on here? Well, first of all, he's saying, Lord, it is good for us to be here which is right. But then he moves on too quickly. He says, then he says, oh, well, what can I do for you? What can I offer you? Lord, you know, well, I, I can build you a tent. I can build Moses and Elijah a tent. Uh, and I, I, I mean, just occurred to me as I was reading, Alice, as I was listening to Alice read there, that he, you know, Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah, and it's almost that Peter wants to butt in and say, well, I'm still here. I, I can do stuff too. Involve me, guys. Uh, and so I can build you a tent. Uh, and so there's the movement too quickly from, you know, it's good for us to be here to don't forget about me. Well, how does God respond? I love this. God then envelops him with a cloud. I love the idea that God's sitting, kind of, God's watching from heaven. And uh, Peter says, I can build you a tent. And God says, you think you can build a tent? Watch me build you a tent and envelopes him entirely with cloud. And, and then says... And then, and then declares over Jesus, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So I think the first point that I want to draw out from this passage is where fruitful ministry, where fruitful discipleship starts from. And it does not start from, as we often think it does, from an offer of what we can do for Jesus. The first word in discipleship is not, Lord, if you wish, I can build you free shelters. The first word in discipleship is, this is my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And how often do we try and forget that? How often do we try and offer stuff up to God and move on from that place of just recognizing who he is, of wanting to draw into intimacy with him, of saying, actually, no, it is the father's word spoken over the son. That is where we begin. Not with all the stuff I can do. Not with all the stuff you can do. Not with all the stuff St. John's can do but who Jesus is, the lordship and the sonship of the man, Jesus Christ. That's where we begin. And so pay attention as, as we enter church this morning. What posture do you come into it with? Did you say, oh, I can give something to this. I can give God something. God needs something from me. Or were you just saying, Jesus, you are God's son. He loves you. I want to listen to you. So I just encourage you to just spend some time. Don't be too quick to move from that place of just recognizing who Jesus is. The disciples are terrified by this, which, I mean, is, is again quite surprising. So they, 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 says that they fall face down. Again, this, on one level you understand it, right? Because what would you do if 
you know, Jesus is shining, big cloud comes down, uh, th- there's this voice, uh, you suddenly realize that this person you've been following for the last few years is actually the Son of God, uh, that will boil up some stuff in you. That, that will realize that, you know, I think that will realize how inadequate you are, uh, how, yeah, j- just how you're not all you thought you were. That initially you thought you were chosen by Jesus uh, to be his disciple, and you thought that was great, and then you realize actually he is so much more than you could possibly imagine. And you're terrified. And you're terrified. So they've seen the glory of God. They've heard his words. 2 Peter talks about this glory of God as a majestic glory. So they're undone. And they just, they just don't know what to do. Interesting, they kind of... It, this in some ways happened, not, not in a kind of, obviously, it, it, not, not in this dramatic way, but it happened to me this week as I was thinking about this sermon because I, I looked initially at this passage and was like, aha, I have a nice three-point structure. I know what I'm going to do. And then on Friday, I sat up in the gallery uh, because I'd forgotten my computer. So I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll just read through the passage and make notes. Uh, and, and I was undone by it. There was just one sentence which just hit me hard. And I had to just go back and say, I need to, I need to redo everything. Because everything I had before was fine. But there's something else here. And actually, the, next, the, and, and the thing that ended me was the next sentence in verse 8. If you read it with me, it says, sorry, verse 7, it says, But Jesus came and touched them. But Jesus came and touched them. They have been so convicted of their inadequacy they have encountered the glory of God, the glory of the Son, the glory of the Father. God is in some ways at his most alien, at his most removed. The Lord says powerfully, listen to him. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he touches them. Because if, if we don't get the first step, if we don't get the fact that God doesn't need us in any way whatsoever... We in some way lose the magnitude of how amazing it is that God wants us, that God has drawn close to us, that he wants to touch us. And then he says these words. Again, you know, the majesty of the Lord has spoken. The voice from the cloud has said, listen to him. And the words that Jesus speaks are, get up. Do not be afraid. Are you listening to Jesus this morning? Are you in a position of brokenness? Are you undone by a situation? Are you, you know, for whatever reason, do you hear Jesus' words this morning saying, get up? This is the real encounter. The noise and the light expose things. They draw things out of the disciples. But the real encounter with the Lord comes when Jesus comes and touches them and says, get up. Do not be afraid. So and they and they're there because they they are there broken, un, you know, undone, thinking they have nothing to give God, but Jesus came and touched them. They are politically oppressed, marginalised on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, but Jesus came and touched them. They are surrounded by death. They are convicted of their own sin, but Jesus came and touched them. And I wonder, we find ourselves in very similar positions. Well, you might come, you might have come this morning, and you feel isolated. You might feel unlovable. But Jesus came. Hear that word. But Jesus came for you, and he wants to touch you. You might be facing a relationship breakdown. You might be facing eviction. But Jesus came. But Jesus came and wants to touch you.
You might feel surrounded by death. You might be feeling like you're walking through the valley of death. But Jesus came, and he wants to touch you. I was struck, but again, I, I was a tactile savior who said, not only said, you know, who touches them, who says, get up. But then, you know, a few weeks later will say, this is my body, this, this is my blood, broken for you, shed for you. This is a tactile savior who wants to touch us. It is a savior who on another hill was transfigured again, again flanked by two people and was broken on the cross. And we saw his true glory once more. I don't know where you are on this journey. I think various different ones of us will be in different parts of this journey of encounter. We might need that exposure. So we might need the Lord to draw stuff out of us, to draw out the stories that we tell ourselves about God, about others, and to to point out how inadequate they are, to point out the ways in which God doesn't need us. But you might be in that position of brokenness. You might know you're, you know, you might know your inadequacy. You might know that God doesn't need you. And actually what you need is to hear the word of God saying, get up, do not be afraid, to know him drawing close and touching you. You might need to know his touch. Because after this happens, he leads them down. He leads them down the mountain. I think something very interesting about, I imagine part of why Peter is saying, uh, I, I, I can build some tents for you, is he's perhaps thinking back to when Moses uh, went up on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments, and Exodus says that he stayed there 40 days. So Peter might be thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll be helpful because they'll probably be here a while. Uh, actually, Jesus doesn't say that long. He encounters them, and then he leads them down. In 2 Peter, it talks about, in verse 21, it talks about being carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, we've we've been shown that our tents are inadequate, that the shelters and the ways that we try to limit Jesus are inadequate. God has enveloped us with the clouds, and we are carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, this morning, draw near. Whatever stage of that journey you're at, if you need things drawn out, if you need the lies that others have told you about yourself, if you need the lies that you are telling uh, yourself, drawn out and exposed for what they are, then draw near. If you need to hear the word of God in your brokenness, say, get up, do not be afraid, draw near. But if you need to hear the wonder that Jesus came near and touched us, draw near. Draw near. May God the Father confront you. May God the Son comfort you. And may God the Holy Spirit carry you. Amen.